This week on the podcast, we look at why stats are used in four-week blocks, discuss underrated and overrated players, and ask if Mick Malthouse could be back at Clubland next year. Oh, and to quote the great Bruce McAvaney, they're roaring now, the Tigers. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast for another week. My name is Matt Walsh, and I'm joined, as always, by Neil Seawang. Hello, mate. How are you? Going well. Jake Michaels. G'day. I want to hear your uh, Bruce McAvaney roar. <laughs> yeah, I might pass on that one. What about one. special? <laughs> special. Delicious. Uh, we might pass on that. And uh, Christian Jolly from Champion Data, welcome to you. Thank you. Uh, gents, on a scale of Scott Thompson to 10, how good was your weekend? <laughs> my, my weekend wasn't overly uh, thrilling. Melbourne lost again. I'm getting used to it by now, but it wasn't quite as bad as poor Scotty, who, who gave away the, the match, the very controversial uh, match deciding goal against was Brisbane. Decided to be a wrong... Uh, yes, decision. which was exactly so, right. Yep. And uh, also had to be uh, taken in for a little procedure on his ruptured testicle, Jake. Yeah, and I I winced a little bit when I when I heard that and, and kind of read about it. So yeah, yeah let's move on. Cause yeah, all, be- <laughs> all the best wishes to Scott. We don't want to make light of that. that no, of course that would not. not. That would not tickle. No, it wouldn't. Uh, it wasn't a great week for injuries. Uh, but we do need to get into it because we have been running overtime uh, the last couple of so weeks. So much to discuss though, Matt. There, there always is. And now we're heading towards the pointy end. Uh, we thought we'd get straight into our first segment. It's time for three on three. Uh, Jake, you've got a bit of a smile on your face because you called this a few weeks ago. In fact, probably a couple of months ago even, uh, that... Uh, the Tigers would be roaring and ready to go uh, come finals time, pardon the pun. And he has mentioned that a few times here and there in the office. Every the now and then months. in the office, maybe once every couple of hours. Well, I can't, I can't mention Jordan Degoe being a superstar because he's faded right <laughs> out, so I've got to find something. Um, but they honestly, they seem to be the, the form te- team of the competition uh, heading into September. Should they be the flag favourites right now? Um, probably not because I think it's pretty clear. I think everyone knows you've, you've really got to finish top four to be a real chance i know we've seen the dogs do it um in recent times but let's be honest it's, it's pretty hard to to win four straight finals um but the way they're tracking and given that all their remaining games are at the mcg where they're almost unbeatable and have been for about two and a half three years they um you'd have to say they probably will finish top four and if they finish fourth would be playing geelong most likely in in the first week of finals and i mean they'd be the favorites <laughs> down doing at that. gmhba aren't they <laughs> well, you, they'd be lobbying for that. That would be so juicy. There's already that groundswell of that murmur from um, Geelong fans um, that you cross past with who who have been fighting for the GMHBA final, and the fact that they're like, oh no, we're going to have to play Richmond again at their home ground when we we're yeah. seated number one. Which is, I can understand the argument, but it'll be you know you'd get the popcorn ready if you were just a neutral. If that happens, and then the Tigers win that, and then they win their prelim. Uh, and then they make the grand final, for instance. They won't have left Melbourne for near on three months. It's unbelievable. No, it's a crazy run. But back to the point about why I was so um, optimistic about the Tigers, because I think everyone made out, they had all these injuries at the in the first third of the year, and I think everyone made out that no one was coming back. Like, we knew Rance was done, and he's a, obviously a huge loss, but everyone kind of made out that they're not getting anybody back and they're going to have to win it with all these young, unknown players. And it's like, no, that's not the case. They've slowly been sprinkling their stars back into the team. And look at them now. They've hit the ground running. And, and as we look at Geelong and Collingwood, the two form teams of the whole year, they're struggling and they're stumbling You know when it's starting to matter more. And Richmond's Richmond's the hottest team in the comp right now. They are. And I think um, Christian and I were, were speaking in the, in the pre-podcast meeting about the last few flags have been all about momentum, who's playing the best footy at the right time of year. And it felt like on the weekend there was a bit of a changing of the guard with Geelong and Collingwood stumbling a bit, and they have for the last last maybe month or so. 
and you've got Richmond who are just gathering this wave of momentum. They've got their stars coming back. They're playing the the style of football that they that, that brought them the 2017 flag. Christian, can you kind of put a finger on what the Tigers are doing at the moment that makes them so good to watch? Yeah, so looking at the last four weeks, so round 15, 18, that's post-buy, so they had their buy in round 14. They've won their last four games, uh, average margin of 47 points, which has got them a percentage of 173.6% which is sort of the third best four-week block this year. The two better blocks above it were GWS sort of playing Gold Coast one of those weeks and sort of getting a bit of a buffer of percentage in that stage. So, But that's really helped them because earlier in the year when they, they had a few big losses, I think they had a big loss to the Giants. It was like they their percentage was really yeah, poor. it was almost a game. When they were just outside the eight, they were almost two games out of the eight yeah. because of that percentage. But they've, yeah, really um But now they're, they're only the about three or 4% off, off Collingwood, who everyone's just... The whole narrative around the pie is that they've been brilliant all year, but it's, mm. it's crazy to think they're that close. Yeah, So and just looking at... So, again, keeping it to post by 112 points per game for Richmond, 16 more than any other side in that time, and conceding 64.5 points per game, which is the equal third fewest. Something we spoke about last week with the metres gained stat, the handball metres gained. So looking at pre-buy, they were gaining 459 handball metres per game, number one in the competition by a long way. Almost double the, the next best team, weren't they? Correct. So try to get this into your head. Rounds 15, 18, they're up to 630 handball metres that's, per game. Hold on. And that's unbelievable. comparing that to their opposition, that's 464 more per game than their opponents are getting. So their gap at the moment is bigger than their average pre-buy if that makes sense because they that's were averaging unreal. 459 how do, you, how do you stop that that's th- what, a, what a dramatically different game style that is to, compared to every other club every other club and and we know that Richmond have, like this has been their blueprint for a, a, a bit of time now so what do we put that down to have they just got have they had a change in team dynamics where they've brought in more running players or is it just the fact that they've got more fit players on the ground and they can swarm and, and push the I ball think it's forward. Just, I think it's a bit of experience. This is the way they've played for three years. So, mm. you know, they won the premiership in 2017 with this style. So they know how to play it. It's clearly what their their foundation is built on as such. It's probably just having that connection of, because it is so much forward movement, it's having the right place in the right time every single time. So they might have lost that with a few inexperienced players playing middle stage of the season. As everyone's come back in, um, sort of seeing their structure hold up and exactly that, they can play that how to scale to footy and just sort of be confident that they'll have the right player in the right place if they turn it over. Helps that they play on such a big wide ground and will do so now for the rest of the year where they can just continue to make use of all the space as well. I mean, it's a a pretty scary prospect to to say that Richmond could still, I mean, could win the flag, really. Definitely. I'm, I'm really fascinated by whether their game style has been implemented by Damien Hardwick because of the players on their list because they've got a bevy of, of really quick, dynamic, small and medium forwards and, and even their midfielders that can play forward or did they construct the game plan because of the list management that brought all, in all those players because it seems like they've got a perfect game style for the players on their list correct I think it's a bit of chicken and egg scenario like which did come first but you can see in the recruiting has supported that in the last two or three years so bringing in even you know Sydney Stack this year Shy Bolton they got in just after the premiership who you know can play that style of footy mm. um, even Jack Higgins has been in, brought in post premiership and, so. and those guys are the ones that, that you're seeing go into the midfield more and they're rotating them through and that they have they have that great mix of just being able to to, to almost pluck any four players out of their side and chuck them in at a centre bounce. I mean it's they, they mix it around quite a bit. Yeah. So their their remaining five weeks are, are calling with this Friday night, which will be a probably one of the, the biggest home and away games this this season. It'll be really interesting to see who who comes out on top there. We've got then they've got Melbourne and Carlton who they should should beat comfortably with, with both of those um, games. 
and then West Coast and Brisbane at the MCG as well. So that's a nice lead in to, yeah. the, to September for them having two reasonably hard games at home. Yeah, you'd, you'd probably think they beat the Pies this week, and then as you said, the D's and the Blues, and and then they they'll, start they'll, to get the tests be before in, finals. They'll be favourite in every. Well, of course of those they games. will, but but those final two games um, are a good pre-finals tests yeah. um, I, I think and, and look it sets the scene for a, a pretty good uh, possibly a Friday night game in round 23 against the Lions what, what do you think? Well the, the fixture hasn't been released yet and, and we've got a piece coming out on, on give, it ES- give it a plug um, I guess ESPN's requests for the round 23 fixture and what we'd like to see and I think we, we are looking forward to hopefully the, the Lions versus the Tigers well, the Lions haven't had a Friday night game in five years so I think they, they well and truly deserve it not just because of where they are on the ladder this year but the style they play I don't think there's many too exciting teams the average football fan hasn't really watched much of Brisbane this year and I think they deserve to, to be seen mm. hey uh, speaking of exciting uh, we had a couple of well we had one celebration a goal celebration in particular uh, that drew the ire of some people including myself I will admit uh, Xavier Dersma, power young gun, uh, four goals down uh, against the Tigers, um, pulls out the bow and arrow celebration. The Tigers then go on to kick five of the next six goals, and commentators at the time were quick to sort of say, hey, we, we don't mind this, but uh, you know, pick your time, less is more kind of thing. Uh, and then others on Twitter, Facebook, social media, uh, just your, your sort of your average footy fan are saying, you know, why not let him in, embrace it? Um, gents, where do you sort of stand on, on stuff like that at that time of the game? It was certainly so. The we, we put out a um, a Facebook post with a, the picture of of Dersma down on one knee with a, the huge bow and arrow celebration, and it was really fifty fifty, wasn't it? A lot of people saying we've got to let the players express themselves, and others saying that it was the wrong time or you shouldn't be celebrating. It's more of a team sport. I must admit personally, I don't like pre-planned celebrations. I don't like the fact that Dersma's obviously. I think he pulls out the celebration after every single goal that he kicks. Yeah, he has, yeah. You wonder if he's walking in to kick the ball and he's thinking about it. Like, yeah. Am I going to face this way? Which which hand do I go with the <laughs> Where Where are the photographers? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't like that. I'm, I'm probably a bit of a negative Nancy with looking at American sports and the way that they carry on after, you know, doing a, you know doing something special. Um I really like the natural reactions of people that are, you know, really celebrating their 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 play. Like Jason Ackermanis um, down at the Cattery, I think it was. That's what I was almost going to say. It's almost that general play celebration mm. versus a set shot celebration. The yeah. general general play one feels more uh, spur of the moment sort the of emotions thing. get to you yeah. and you're, you're yeah. pretty pumped. And I remember Ivan Merrick in a in a final against Carlton um, three or four years ago, or maybe a bit longer, where his eyes looked like they were going to fall out of his head. He was so pumped. <laughs> what was I the, love fam- that. the famous call that day? Who, who was it? Was it Dennis said it looked like a Cossack warrior? He it was, did. Uh, it was a great call that, and it was a very good celebration. And just quietly, that was the loudest I've ever heard the, the MCG. That 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 final was immense, uh, the way that Carlton... Because Carlton won it by coming ninth. Anyway, I dig- digress. Um, so... I love that those shows of emotion. I'm all for that pre-planned celebration. Not not a big fan. And and here's the thing, I understand why people sort of say let the players be players. He's just a kid and all this stuff. But the overreaction to the media coverage of it, I think, has been it's just outrage for the sake of being outraged. How do you mean? Well, so I wrote in the Heroes and Villains column this week. I said we love what Dersma's doing. Good young kid showing great signs uh, and kicks goals. He's a he's a good player. Mm. Um, but you, there just needs to be some awareness about pulling out these celebrations, I think, when you when you are down like that uh, and, and when you are sort of in the midst of a battle like this. I would love to see him do it when he kicks a sealer. If he beats the Tigers and he, he he's, you know, the team's three points up and he kicks the next goal and, and the siren goes not long after, great, pull it out because it's a great celebration. That might and, happen and we, once in your whole career, though. But less is more. I less think the last thing more. I said was less is more. Yeah, less is more. I, I agree with that. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I... I 
the we have this sort of culture in Australian sport where we don't tend to celebrate. Like you mentioned, the American sports they celebrate everything and they go over the top, and it it can be a bit cringeworthy at times. But we don't. We generally don't celebrate. But the minute someone does, we want to jump on them and and bash them. But for we're it. not jumping but, on them. But hang on, because he's done it for every goal he's kicked so far in his short career. Whether they've been in front or behind, no one said anything until now. No, no, because this is this was. The point at which he did it was probably the not the worst position Port have been. They were three goals down. They weren't. The, well, they were four they, goals down, and he kicked it, and then he kicked it to get him three goals down. But the momentum was going the other way. I mean, Tigers kicked the next four or five, five, didn't they? five of the next six. Um, but, if, but if Port had kicked the next five and they won the game, no one would talk about it. Perhaps, but but that's not what happened. Yeah. Um, but look, I, I just think that the pile on to sort of saying, "Oh, let the kid be the kid," it's like great, but but we're not we're not piling on the kid himself as well. I think there's got to be a bit of a distinction between sort of, you know, constructive criticism. Hey, great, do it. Pull it out uh, at an opportune time. Um, and, and then just sort of, you know, flat out, you know, oh, media's on everyone's back and, and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, that's my opinion. Um, but, <laughs> well, to sort of bring it back up, I guess, um, what are some of the best celebrations we've seen in footy? You the, mentioned the Akamanis one. Akamanis one stands out for me. Putting I just the hand loved over the mouth. The hand over the mouth and the like. He looked at the crowd. The security saying, guard in the I background. I cannot believe I've just pulled off. But that, that was a one. That was a one-off. That's why I thing. liked it. That wasn't yeah. like organic. Yeah. He, he didn't do that every time he kicked. It the goal. summed up the per- the situation perfectly because yeah. as we were saying, we couldn't remember. It was about three to ten minutes before that he'd kicked a very similar yeah. goal. That in was the, the second one yeah. he kicked Team from mate. the identical thing. It was almost like everyone in the stadium had the same reaction. How did he just do that? And Ackerman has sort of had yeah. it on his face. Lewis Jetta's Ronaldo in the prelim against Melbourne. Yep. Um, notably, they were quite far in front, the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, I think you can pull about a little bit more if the game's in your favour. Um, but yeah, as you said, Matt, the organic ones, I, I love the the displays of, of emotion and, and whatnot, but maybe not the Mark Williams shotgun one. You enjoyed the, uh, the Dom Sheed from last year's grand final? Pure, pure emotion, wasn't it? Just yeah. sort of kicked the goal, looked to the nearest stand, um, had his arms out and just screamed. It was just, you know... Raw emotion. I like to see that sort of stuff more. Yep. more so, so one of my favourite celebrations for the year was another controversial one, but I love the Sydney Stack Eddie Betts sort of interaction. Interaction Good where one. Eddie Betts kicks a goal and Sydney Stack actually celebrates with him with a high five. Again, that was a little bit of byplay. Ten minutes before that, Stack had smothered an Eddie Betts kick, mm. and you could see on the camera he'd said something to him. Yeah. Ten minutes later, Eddie Betts does that over his head, and Sydney Stack just had to sort of acknowledge it and sort of say, "Well done." I loved it. Eddie, well, that Eddie, was. Eddie Sorry. Betts does do some good celebrations too, into similar to the Akamanis ones where he just turns to the crowd. The, the and he's swagger and he's like, like, how did this happen? Yeah. Yeah, he's Love not it. bad. I don't mind a, an Eddie Betts celebration. Um, hey, Jake, we talk about the Lions a bit because you're, you're a big fan of what they're doing. They're your second team now, aren't they? <laughs> and there is a man named Jared Lyons at the Lions. Uh, he's probably been best on ground the last two weeks. You could probably I argue. I don't think there's a probably about it. I think he clearly has been. He got the perfect 10 from the coaches' votes this week. Probably the most baffling trade decision of, of last off-season, but I think I'm on another tangent here. It I'll is a tangent, continue. but one that probably He's does need to be... He's the best player in the comp worth nothing to, yes. to another side. <laughs> and for a team like the Suns to let him go is even more baffling. It's not like that they had a bevy of midfield options. It'd be a great autobiography one day, especially mm. if they do win a flag up at Brisbane. That'd be quite interesting. Yep. Um, but it got us thinking about who the more underrated and possibly the more overrated players in the competition are. And Jake, I know you've got a few strong opinions about some underrated players. Or uh, overrated players. I mean, where do you want to on everything. Where's your list? <laughs> he pulls out his notebook. <laughs> where do you want me to start? Who are you, uh, who is who is your? Let's start with underrated. Who's your one or two most underrated players in the comp? Well, we had a little bit of a brainstorm before about some names. I think the name that really sticks out is um, Jack Crisp. I think he is one of the most consistent players. And if you were if you were to name your ten best players at Collingwood, I don't know if many people would have him in there. 
He's no an chance. absolute star, and he should be certainly in consideration for all Australians. You can just rely on him. You know what you're going to get from him week in, week yeah. out. Uh, good user of the footy Great as user well. Of the ball, yeah, tough. He's got tough. the pace. He's he's he's, a, he's just an all round good player, and no no drama with him. And to use one of Matt's favourite terms, he was a, he was a steak knife in in the deal to get um, beams up to. He Brisbane was another originally. one of those lines. <laughs> That's a good yeah. point. Um, <laughs> He played his 200th game on the weekend, but still seems to be underrated. Uh, mm. Liam Shields, I thought, played another excellent game. He was probably best on uh, for yeah. the Hawks in their win. And, and sort of a uh, few All-Australians, I think. But you kind of, you just never, when, you, when you're rating the Premier, has he been All-Australian? He surely has been. I don't reckon he has. Well, he has. I don't think he has. Been. Been. Well, yeah. then, I mean, there you go. I mean, when you're talking about sort of your top crop midfielders in the league, um, He's just never in that sort of list. And, very and consistent. Very one, consistent. Yeah. And, and the other, another Hawthorne name I stumbled across, and sort of we spoke about Jordan Goey earlier in the season about round five or six, whether he's the best player in the competition. I felt I did this guy a disservice by not mentioning his name in comparison to Jordan Goey as one of the best small forwards for a long time. Luke Bruce, I mean, what he's done at Hawthorne for the last 10 years, um, probably, you know, the shine taken away by Buddy and Roughhead earlier in the piece. Now he's just sort of, everyone knows he's good, but yeah. I think he's been a star. But he, he did it, a lot of He goals. did it with Buddy and Roughhead, and he's doing it without. Correct. I mean, he's, yeah. yeah. My, I've got a couple of nominations, and I'm I'm more thinking about the the defenders who actually defend and not not the st- not the guys that you you look at the at the end of the game and oh they've got not your 500 <laughs> meters gained or you know they've racked up 27 touches like a Rory Laird but I love Brad Shepherd and Nev Jetta small defenders who rarely get beaten but they'll just never ever catch the eye of anybody outside the club and, and their supporters so I, I love the the fact that you can just lock them in they'll do a job and they'll mm. just do it with a minimum of fuss hey just on shields you're right he hasn't been all australian but as a uh, two-time McClellan trophy winner Hawthorne's best player in finals 2018, best club in 2017. I mean, it's a pretty good resume for someone who hasn't made an All-Australian. Mm, absolutely. Um, if you had to go the other way, Jake, uh, and say player who, who might have been a bit overrated, uh, especially this year, who would you have at the top of your list? Well, again, you don't want to you don't want to bash any player, but um, the one that really sticks out to me is Joel Selwood. I think Joel for, Selwood is overrated. And, um, and, and not just this year. I, th- I think he's been overrated for all of his career. There's no doubt he's his a whole tough, career. hard player. This is the captain of one of the more successful clubs in recent times. I know. But is okay. he... Is I feel like for his whole career, any, everyone would just be like, he's a top 10 player in the league. Every year he plays. Every single year. But is he? I don't think he is. I don't even think he's in the top seven players in the team. I think you, you, you're, prob- you're probably right in terms of his pure footballing ability, but... Obviously, I think someone like Selwood Intangible brings leadership. The, yeah, exactly. You'd love to run out with him, no doubt about that. But I, but in terms of what he does on the football field, and and again, we only we only can talk about what you see in terms of him getting the ball, kicking it, tackling all that sort of stuff. We don't know what he's saying because we can't hear it. Mm. But from that point of view, and that's what I'm taking. I I don't think he's as good as what you can be the best and still be overrated. He, well. To your point, Jake, and, and playing devil's advocate, maybe he is there. Is there an argument to say that he's the fourth or fifth best midfielder at Geelong this year? He's, I, I, I don't know if he's in Geelong's top ten players this year. I, if if they counted the best, the their best and first right now, I don't think he finishes in the top ten. But has he been rated as highly this year? I mean, there is more talk about oh, your people, Ablets and your Kellys and your Dangerfields and and all these sorts of blokes. Your Dangerfields. I think <laughs> there's only one Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Look, he's obviously playing. He's obviously older and he's playing a bit more of a different role now. But um, yeah, I don't know. He's just a, he's an interesting one for me. Obviously, he's a great player. He's won three um, three flags all when he, early in his career, and he's the captain of that side. But yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm not sure where he sort of where he sort of sits at the moment. A couple like of it. other names on the list that we've got, and actually there does seem to be a bit of a theme developing in our more overrated players lists. 
few, few club captains on there, Neil. There is, yeah. We've got Taylor Walker, uh, Jack Siebel. Um, who's, who's probably been a bit better in, in more recent times, especially probably under Reece Shaw, he has. to be fair. Uh, Jack Viney and Rory Sloan on that on our little shortlist there, and I, I was going to nominate Rory Sloan as well. And similar to you, Jake, in that everyone respects him as a very fine player, but I think he maybe doesn't impact games that that often as a as a top line A grade midfielder should. And I think the fact that he has been unable to deal with a tag for most of his career probably mm. puts him down a, a, a lower a lower level than than what most people I think. think. People fall in love with those players like Salwood and Sloan that are like hard and they they go in and it's like that yeah but they're not maybe not as good as as you think they are mm. as harsh as that might sound. One of the, one of the names on that list that sort of uh, that I'm interested in is Taylor Walker because I don't know if he is overrated because I feel like he is one of the most over-expected players. Everyone just expects this guy to go out. If he doesn't kick eight goals and take three speckies, he's had a, a shocking game. <laughs> yeah. He's the reason why Adelaide loses. And you look at Taylor Walker, he's a pretty good player. He's above average for a key forward in our numbers. I think he's probably, yeah, one of the most unfairly treated players in terms of he's sort of overrated, but then they also have that over-expectation on him. I think he's, yeah. That's probably that's probably fair. I think his rating sort of dropped. I think we've, we've sort of realised, okay, he's maybe not as good as the player everyone expected he or thought he should be or two to. or three years ago. But then now it's like, okay, he's not as good as the level that we then dropped yeah, him down I sort of, to. I, I have a chuckle to myself because I feel like he's the first name. When Adelaide loses, there's always something about Taylor Walker. Yeah. And it's just like, why is he always the one? You know, he is the captain of the club. Captain. If he like wasn't that. the captain, you wouldn't talk about him as much. So who, yeah. who's your name, Christian? If you had to... to place one name above above that list? Well, I sort of said to you in the pre-pod, this is like uh, shooting Bambi or something, <laughs> but... Um, a bit scared to say it, but Sean Burgoyne is probably... Not Silk. <laughs> See, I agree. I, I agree with this. <laughs> he he is a star, and he's had a great career. Um, you know, Getting a, br- a Amy now brilliant player, days. but just the... the uh, again, I'm more rating the, the commentary when he plays a game of football. It's like this guy has yeah, never made a mistake. This guy is just going to roll up and win you a game of football off his own boot. He's he's come second in a BNF for Port and third in a BNF for Hawthorne. They're his best two finishes. So this guy, you know, That's again, surprising. don't want to talk him down, but he's never been a BNF winner at his club. So he's never been the star player at the club. He's a very good player. But yeah, listening to the commentary about him, it, it is he gets better every week, no matter what he does. On the weekend, he I don't know if you saw that little chip out from um, from the goal square, fifteen meters. Brian Myers waltzes in, takes it, misses the set shot, mind you. But the commentary is. That's his first mistake in 360 games. And it's like, yeah, but every mistake he makes, they say that. Yeah, No, I agree with that. Good so, play, obviously. but Some other names on the underrated list we might have missed. Uh, Mitch Brown having a, a decent season Great for the season. Bombers. Good set shot, I think. Uh, Braden Fiorini. Dan Houston. Uh, I know you're pretty hot on Dan Houston. Yeah, I like Dan Houston. Yeah. Big Sinclair from the Swans. Yes, yeah. uh, I think they're missing Unheralded greatly Ruckman. at the moment. Did you have a nomination You're for bit... overrated player, Matt? Uh, I did. It was stolen. Oh, no, hold on. Did I? Oh, yeah, so Jack Viney, I think. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> another, inside, in no, another inside midfielder. Another inside midfielder. Yeah. I think it was kind of evident when, when Melbourne doesn't have him, there's no sort of drop-off. And when they get him back, there's no, there's no perk-up. So I think his influence for what he does... Um, and I think it is a bit of a theme with uh, inside midfielders where their maybe their influence isn't quite as noticeable when you're sort of watching footy unless you're watching really super closely. But I just feel that, that Viney, and as a leader as well, uh, I'm just not sure he was the right choice as captain at the D's and, and he might just be a bit overrated. I think I think it's hard to, to judge leadership. So I'm going to leave that side of it. Sure. Um, uh, just I'm going to park that to the side a little bit. I think you might be right though with inside midfielders. It's really, everyone lords them and loves their, their courage and their toughness. But maybe... And I think especially at Melbourne when there's probably four or five really good inside midfielders there and, yep. and maybe Viney doesn't add to that mix. Whereas if, 
a play like that maybe at, at a club with one good inside midfielder might be able to make a mark a bit more. Perhaps I'm not saying he's a bad player yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, but um, you know, club captain, big name at, at the uh, at the football club. He's had club. a poor year. Yeah, yeah. and and, and I th- well, I mean, the whole club's had a poor year, yeah. so so maybe I am being a touch unfair. See, Viney reminds me a little bit of um, Travis Boak when he was captain and struggled. And for, for years, I th- I thought he was one of the most, if not the most overrated player in the comp, Travis Boak. But man, he's had a terrific season. I think this is his best year he's ever played. Definitely. And maybe it helps players when they don't have that burden of the captaincy. Possibly. Maybe. Hey, uh, we should move on to our next segment. How about stat with Champion Data? Uh, we touched on it off the top, uh, talking about how stats are used in four-week blocks a lot in footy. And a lot's changed over the past month of football with Geelong and Collingwood having stumbled somewhat while the Lions, Bombers and uh, Jake's second or third team, <laughs> the Tigers. Um, How many teams are you giving? <laughs> you've got a lot of teams at the moment. Uh, have all been really good. Christian, I guess what I'm trying to ask is if we isolate the last four weeks in particular, what are the stats telling us? Yeah, so I'll just touch on the, the four-week periods, um, a very relevant time period that's used within the industry. So at Champion Data, we sort of have um, a premium service for clubs, which is called Head Start. That is basically... Um, a rundown of how your season's going, but we also give you everything split up into four-week blocks. So clubs like to look at the most recent four weeks to see how they're going and their upcoming opposition. So it gives you more of a feel of, yeah, recent form and what you're doing, um, you know, in the recent weeks. And I was doing North Melbourne's this week, sort of stumbled across the fact that Jai Simpkin is now, in the last four weeks, the number one contested possession winner and clearance winner at North Melbourne by a fair way. So... That, that's not... I mean, Simpkins had a nice year. He looks like he's really emerging, but you would have just assumed that that would be... Cunnington would have a Monty mm. on those, and if not, him, Jack Siebel. Yep, so it's almost like Cunnington sort of t- taking that little step back and allowed Guy Simpkin to sort of <laughs> you know, get his numbers up. So that's sort of... That's what started me looking into, you know... Uh, we always do look at four weeks. I thought I'd just bring to the pod and just bring out some sort of the highlights of the last four weeks that we might be missing. So um, just quickly, I mean, we spoke about the team. So the top four, top eight in the last four weeks, Richmond on top, Brisbane and Essendon are the other two undefeated teams. Mm. Fourth is West Coast. So all those four are in the top eight. The next four in the last four weeks, top eight, is Hawthorne, Carlton, Bulldogs, North. So it really shows you the teams that are sort of, you know, not not so much turning their season around, but are getting, you know, into better form than they were at the start of the year. Um, so looking at team sort of um, stats, so the number one scoring side from stoppages in the past month has actually been Melbourne. And that is a great turnaround for them. So from rounds 1 to 14, they rank last in this stat. In the last four weeks, if they win a clearance, they score, I think it was about 28% of the time. That's number one. So, so that was one of Melbourne's big keys last year, wasn't it? The fact that they could... Tear it away from yeah, stoppages exactly. and, and, and the scoreboard. For some reason, they had fallen off a cliff for most of this season. So I'm surprised yeah. to hear that. Yeah, last Melbourne... four weeks, it seems to, you know, it's a bit, it's been back. And uh, the number one team scoring from intercepts, which you always say is a big um, indicator of who might be in premiership form. No surprises, Jake's team, Richmond. So, <laughs> um, you know, they win the ball back from the opposition and they're, they're most likely going to score. Uh, I have 17. I don't have a Gold Coast one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just looking at another team, so Brisbane. Um, and we sort of spoke about the Friday night and ESPN's request to get them on Friday night. Over the last four weeks, they've got a kick-to-handball ratio of two kicks for every one handball, which was probably low... 15 years ago when it was, you know, three or four kicks for every handball. Most teams are around the one and a half kicks or even 1.2 kicks per handball. So Brisbane are bringing football back to football. I saw a good stat on the weekend that uh, the, that game was the lowest total disposal count in almost two or three years. Yeah, because the because handballs are always going to get your disco, disposal counts up. So the more Richmond you're sort of and, and kicking and flicking it out wide. Which, and again, yeah. Brisbane don't do a lot of backwards and round sort of the back half kicking. It's pretty direct kicking that's what, They're too, so good so to watch. Maybe it, that's why we enjoy watching them play. Exactly. And it's yeah, a very simple Less number. Less rolling so Yes. 
So um, some of the players, again, another one that we've just spoken about. So in the last four weeks, the number one kick getter in the competition, Jared Lyons. Our man. So he's doing quite well there. The he might be taking Brownlow votes off uh, Lockie Neal. Uh, I suspect he would be in the last couple of weeks. Mm. Um, just looking at the leading mark getters in the past four weeks. So Robbie Tarrant and is number one. And Bailey Fritch is probably the one that surprised me at second. So Melbourne have sort of switched him a little bit, taking him out of halfback, putting forward him more wing and half forward. And mm-hmm. I, again... Um, the numbers of him kicking inside 50, he's, a, he's one of Melbourne's better kicks inside 50, so you need to get him closer to the forward half than where you've previously had him. Uh, number one loose ball get player in the last four weeks, uh, Darcy Byrne-Jones at Port Adelaide, who's been quite good. I think he's also, I think I had him in the top three for total intercepts as well in that time. So he's had a, a pretty good month, even though Port have been pretty up and down. Uh, number one score assist player, so I like to claim this player as mine. Rowan Marshall, who I sort of he said would, yeah, would be one man. of the biggest improvers at the start of the year. He's been uh, he's ten score assist in the past month, ranked number one in the comp. It was good again on the weekend. He, he's he's just growing every week. He um just a, you, you look at him and in proportion, you just wouldn't think he's as tall as he is. No, um, the way he, he sort of so holds well. himself well, uh, yeah, across the ground and, and even his ball use, I think, is, is quite a bit and of a standout for what a I keep hearing from him. I've heard club uh, teammates and even coaches talk about, it, and they're sort of saying, "Oh yeah, he's he's need to learn the ruck role because he's a forward. He's he's always been a key forward. He looks so comfortable in the yeah. ruck. You wouldn't have picked that. You know, he he hasn't really played there. He looks like he could be. He, he looks like he could be. You know, could, instead of having a big two ruckman, he looks like he's. If he hasn't already joined it, it looks like it's going to be a big three for the next sort of three or four years. Well, then why isn't Kilda chasing Todd Goldstein? I mean, yep. maybe the Saints want to use him as a as more of a forward um, or just a, a loose player around the ground. But very puzzled when bizarre. I read it. They were, they were first linked to Sam Draper, and then also yeah, now recently right. linked to Todd Goldstein. I don't think they realise exactly. They've got what a gem. Got. Yeah. Um, so a couple other players that standing out in the past month. Scoreboard impact leader is Jack Darling. So he's been fourth across the season, but sort of you know uh, number one in the past four weeks. Number one offensive uh, one-on-one contest player for win rate, Sam Day at the Gold Coast. So good to see Gold Coast ranked number one in something. But he's only played the last five weeks. So he's winning 60, uh, 68% of his one-on-one. So again, for a young team like Gold Coast, to be able to have a key forward that you can kick to one-on-one and actually, you know, he's, he's most likely going to win it or at least, you know, halve the contest. And takes the pressure off, exactly off what they need. Um, Peter Wright as well. Yeah. Yep, um, and the best one-on-one player in the past month for loss rate. So Jordan Ruffhead's only been beaten one of his past sixteen contests, uh, which has been the best in the past month. So again, sort of um, new to the team, but he really looks like as the season progresses, getting more and more comfortable in Collingwood's backline. Talk about you know Lions, a um, a real great moneyball yep. recruit. I don't think they they copped up too much for him. Yep, and um, the underrated list too. <laughs> and sort of the, some other names that surprised me. Three of the safest ball users in the past month. So that's looking at disposals per turnover. Luke Dunstan at St Kilda has uh, averaged 19.4 disposals for every turnover he's committed, um, which is, again, sort of surprising. The way you look at Luke Dunstan, he's a yeah. bit of a you know get-it-and-dump-it forward player. He's not the most silky, you know, skilled-looking player, uh, but being very safe. Second is... Um, Everyone's favorite, everyone's second favorite player at least. Sydney Stack is uh, seventeen point five disposals per turnover in the past month, but he's actually I, I took that step back and I was thinking I wonder who is the season leader. Leader, it is still Sydney Stack, so eleven point three disposals per turnover. So his first the year player leading that stat. Impressive, really. Correct, yeah, and and he's played at both ends too, so yeah. he was safe in the back line. He's also safe at the forward line because it's it's quite easy to turn the ball over in your forward line because you've For got sure. the out of bounds, the out in the falls, shots at goals that don't quite score that the opposition wins. So. To have high number and not sort of be playing in a outside midfield role, it's yeah quite impressive for him. Goes all right, young Sydney. 
He does. Uh, very popular in these offices down here. Producer Jesse's a big fan, uh, of course. Uh, but uh, anything else we, we should uh, touch on before we move on, or are we, uh, are we right to move no, on? I, got, I mean, I had a few more players. Just another one I want to give a shout-out to, just talking about Rowan Marshall and having a big three ruckman. I think there's another name we have to throw in there for the future, Riley O'Brien. Yeah, he looked good, yeah, didn't he? Again, he's been he doing it for longer than a month, but in the past month, I think he's had, he's had 30 hardball gets, which is 13 more than any other Adelaide player. So that's, that's your role of your midfielders to win the hardball yeah. gets down low. Um, Riley O'Brien sort of doing well in the ruck but also starting to dominate at ground level I can't Rash see brothers need to get their hands dirty yeah, they do I can't see um, Sauce Jacobs getting back in anytime soon no no O'Brien does crack in it's good to see hey uh, we should move on I've had a gutful Jake uh, a piece of news caught your eye over the weekend but I'll leave it to you to explain what you've had a gutful of well, it did. I actually walked in today. I was off over the weekend. I had a rare weekend off and, and tried to not do too much uh, footy stuff and, and just relax. And I, I came into the office today and there was a paper sitting uh, near my desk and I flicked it open and the first story I saw really caught my eye and got me... And I actually came in not knowing what I was going to talk about today. But as soon as I saw this, it was it was pretty clear. Um, Mick Moldhouse throwing his hat back in the, in the coaching ring. And I just think... You know, Mick, you've been around the game for a bloody long time. Now you're out of it. Stay out of it, mate. Like, <laughs> I think the the game's fine without you. And without without bashing him too much, he set the Carlton Football Club back five or six years, Mick. And I don't think the way football's played these days, clubs want an old-school, old-fashioned coach. I, I think, look, obviously there's a few clubs now looking to, to nail down their permanent coach for next season. But if I was looking to hire, I'd be taking David Teague, Reece Shaw, Brad Scott, and Brett Ratton before I'd even be picking up the phone and speaking to, to Mick Malthouse. So, Mick, probably, give it up. <laughs> I think you could probably think of about 100 better names than, than just those four ahead of Mick. I'm, I'm surprised that he even thinks that he's a chance to get to get called up for... Even but, in, like, an overseeing role. Yeah. Okay. He's just such an overbearing personality yeah, you, that you I can't... You don't want him sitting behind you, you know, micromanaging, and you just... Nah. Well, yeah. St Kilda would be the only choice, surely, because he's not going back to Carlton. The place would be burnt to the ground <laughs> if he ever walks, steps foot in that place. Yep. Um, and you really doubt that Reece Shaw would probably want someone who he was coached by sitting over the top of him. Because, I mean, yep. I know whenever I hang out with friends from high school, whenever you're with them, you always revert to you know what you like back in high school. So your, we're always idiots and, and whatever. Yeah, yeah so if, if Reece Shaw is trying to be this serious um, coach and then he's got Mick Malthouse, who he was under... Um, in in the coaching box with him, I just don't think it's a good dynamic that you probably want. We're, we're just talking about you know how much footy changes in a four week block. Mick's been out of the game for four, been out of the coaching mm. you know club land for for four years. Yep. Just think about how much footy would have changed in that time. There's no way that he would be across the latest trends and and the tactics and and even managing young men who would have been you yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, and he's so and he'd have that old school approach, and you know that might have worked 15 years ago, but it, it, it's not how. The coaches don't coach like that anymore. But you don't see. You've heard Chris Scott saying, "Like, do you ever give players a, a blast?" It's like it's you can't do that every game. You can't go into the quarter time huddle and just start screaming at your players. That doesn't work. And and he's he's an old fashioned coach. I mean, touching on how much the game has changed, Christian, you'd know as well as anyone over even one year, but let alone four. How much footy actually changes year on year? Correct, and it's it. The big thing with Mick Malthouse was, again, sort of going back, and it's hard to sort of speak about that, it was his relationship with the players. So I think that last point you brought up is quite pertinent. The players are four years younger now than when he left the game. And even when he was in the game, I think he did start sort of 
you know, while his time at Carlton, I don't think he really brought in any young players along. And at Collingwood, I think, you know, he always had his favourites with Daisy Thomas, he's sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're right. It, the game the game, and, you know, even the generation of players playing the game have probably changed too much in four years. I, I, know, I know that exactly right. I completely agree with you, Christian. And in, in mixed defence, I think he was only answering a question on radio and he said, yeah, look, I would like to... I would take the phone call if a club was interested. But I think maybe it, it's kind of tarnishing his legacy he looks like he's just trying to claw onto relevance with his fingernails when he probably should just say no look I'm, I'm happy outside and, yeah. and if he does get a call you know he can talk to them in private I mean you stick with the media gig he's, he's doing actually quite well with that um, so I don't know why he feels the need to say <coughs> coaching is back on the agenda and the three votes goes to uh, question for the table answer me this when was the last time a round 19 game involving Carlton was interesting or relevant uh, it'd be a few years ago I suspect uh, 1999. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this week, I'm going to say it, it's a, it's a relevant game because uh, they take on Adelaide at the MCG. The Crows have been up and down uh, and are struggling and just lost to the Bombers. Uh, and the Blues have their first round pick and Adelaide has Carlton's first round pick. It's the Liam Stocker Cup this week. <laughs> um, and the Crows are in danger of missing finals. The Blues are in good form. There's a lot of elements to this game where I'm just very glad they did the pick swap. It was brave, wasn't it? It was at the start of the, at the end of last year, rather when um, when draft night was there. Everyone was kind of shocked that that someone would deal, and Carlton especially, being so close to the bottom of the ladder, would deal their first round draft pick. Um, made made headlines at the time. I think we wrote a piece on it, um, and it's kind of been sort of simmering away when Carlton had a bad start to the year and the, and the Crows were looking strong. Um, but now we sort of get to this this crux point of the season where this game is is massive for both clubs and massive for a club that's sitting 16th on the ladder. And I think it's a kudos to both of those teams that they had the balls to go through with the trade. And there'll be a lot of eyes on Saturday afternoon at the G. Yeah, they're not as far away from each other right now as maybe we thought 10 weeks ago. Mm. Um, especially Adelaide, who's probably going to finish around 8th, 7th to 9th, you'd think, around that, yeah. that spot. Um, and the Blues could potentially get as high as... 15th, 15th, maybe? 15th, 15th yeah. So um, it's not that bad. And, and as we said, I think, you know, probably early on in the pod, it was like if they identified Stocker as a guy that they wanted to get and had to get and they valued him as a pick five or six or whatever it was and they got him a year earlier than they could have if they waited, I mean, so be it. Yeah, I, I, I've i been very harsh on Stephen Sylvania's list management. Um, both at GWS and and Carlton, and I wrote about that when when um, Bolton was was sacked, um, and I thought that Stephen Silvani should have caught more heat. But this this could turn out to be one of one of his greatest moments if it turns out that the gap between Adelaide and Carlton isn't that great. Six picks, maybe exactly, and and Stocker turns out to be a really good player. Then then it's a risk that actually might really pay off for the Blues. And but I don't think we should be just looking at this. Like, I don't think it should be okay if. If Carlton win this game, then they've won the trade. Correct, yes. I don't think you can look at it like that. I think overall... But there's a level of intrigue about there this is fixture, in, and it hasn't sure. happened for a Carlton game this late in the season for so long. And um, I'm just glad that the AFL, when they introduce this, you can swap picks in the future. Um, this is exactly the sort of thing they would have been hoping happened. So, honestly, three votes probably to the AFL for making, making this happen. And, and I reckon we're going to start seeing a lot more of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Hey, we are here for footytips.com.au because you can sit with uh, family and friends. Neil, I know you've got a couple of very, very interesting stats uh, from our Footy Tips database. Yeah, well, it's not just you and me that are struggling with our tips, Matt. Hey, we found out we're the average. Thank you. We're, we're average, okay. So <laughs> average that, tippers. That's concerning for, the, for, for <laughs> half of the Footy Tips database because you and I are hardly flying. Um, but just looking back quickly at last round, the average score was just over five tips, correct? Uh, we had one perfect round. Monique... I'm going to struggle to say this last name. 
Christoph Christophels from Perth. Well done, Monique. The, well done, Monique. <laughs> she she was the only one across almost seven hundred thousand tippers that got a perfect round. So fantastic effort. But I thought it'd be interesting to to compare this year's tipping across the whole database with last year's tipping because this year mm. seems really hard. And I don't think it's just me and you that are really you know tearing our hair out. I really hope not. <laughs> so at the at the moment, the average after eighteen rounds is eighty eight tips. Correct. Last year it was ninety seven. So that's that's nine. That's that's a nine tip difference at this stage of last year. The average. The average. So just to give you a bit more context, this year's leading tipster, um, Marie T, uh, is on 110 tips. So congrats to her. Bloody oath. <laughs> she would have been ranked 25,000th last year. <laughs> oh, that's unbelievable. That's it does illustrate just what a. I mean, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. What a volatile year. It's getting more and more unpredictable. Yeah. Because so, I remember 12 months ago, we were probably standing around saying, God, it's so hard to tip. Yeah, and this is next harder. level. Yeah, That's fascinating. So what can you tell us about this week's games? Yeah, this, this I mean, every week looks difficult when you're in the, the, the tipping form that, that we're in. But yeah, a, a lot of games that, not too many that look like blowout games. There's, I mean, Collingwood-Richmond, we've got 37% going for Collingwood at the moment um, against the Tigers. And the closest one is hawthorne hosting the Lions down in Launceston. And more people are going for the Lions, who have a great record against the Hawks in recent years. And did beat them down there a couple of years ago? Exactly. Last year, last year was it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next closest is St Kilda and Melbourne. Um, we've got 65% going for St Kilda and 35 for Melbourne, which seems about, about right. But yeah, it doesn't look like an easy round. No, it doesn't. Um, can we go around the room and have our certainties and upsets, Jake? Yeah, certainly. I think Richmond. I, just we we touched on them before how they're playing with a their, certainty against with their handball. Yeah, I, I really don't see. I mean, we could go the obvious ones, but uh, <laughs> whoever's playing Gold Coast. But no, I, I think Richmond's um, clearly the way they're playing with their hands and Collingwood just struggling around the ground. And I think they're going to win comfortably. Um, and an upset. You touched on it, Brisbane. I, I can't believe they're the outsider against Hawthorne. I know Hawthorne's had a pretty good four weeks, but um, I mean Brisbane's won the last three or maybe even four against the Hawks and. You know, and they're they're in good form. Like mm, I, yeah. it's it's almost like you you'd think they'd be struggling. But the only thing I would say is we know that the the whoever's second on the ladders had that curse where they can't win. So be wary about um, that's a staggering about stat. Tipping the the Lions. What was the stat that more teams have won at who have placed second last this year than teams who have placed been placed second? I think, I think, it's, I think, I think it's it might true. even be more. The, that the one that's last. doing the rounds on the internet I've seen recently is ranking each position on the ladder. So I think top team this year is. Like the team with the most wins this year is, I think, it was first like ninth. And seventh or something was ninth, ninth might second. Yeah. Yeah. Second is last on that latter in a yeah. win loss. Yeah. Second yeah. only won four games. That the whole defies year. logic. It does. Uh, Christian, a certainty and upset from you. Yeah, my certainty, West Coast. Uh, I think North were brave last week going to Brisbane, but now they've got to back that up with a trip mm. over to Perth. Um, and I think West Coast are in pretty good form. My upset, but I can never get these guys right. I'll, go, I'll throw up Port again. Port to beat GWS <laughs> at Adelaide <laughs> Oval. But yeah, I'd, I'd get Port wrong all, all, all year, sorry. Um, you, you stole my certainty, Chris. You know, I think West Coast, I think they're probably not flying, but they're getting the job done. And, and I think North maybe, I think the the the, the weekend's results probably going to deflate them emotionally. Yeah, they can't, they can't play finals now. now. Yeah. So I think that, that's going to be hard to come up and play your best footy in Perth. Um, and my upset is Sydney at home versus Geelong. I think uh, I think the Cats are really wobbling. I think the, the Swans are playing reasonable footy. Um, and I think, yeah, I think the, mm. the Swans, even though they haven't got a great record at home in, in recent years, I think they can they can overpower them. That is interesting. Uh, I will take your low-hanging fruit, Jake, and say the Bombers are certainties to beat Gold Coast. 
Uh, and I, I think the Blues are a big, sh- a big chance against the Crows. Um, this is their grand final, Carlton. Uh, and if they can't put in a... <laughs> it pains me to say it, how far the club's fallen. Um, but the Crows are in danger of missing finals, and the Blues would love to um, stick a nail in well, that Well, Carlton's coffin. in better form right now, no doubt about yep. it. 100%. So, well, that's all we've got time for uh, this week. Don't forget to uh, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll speak to you guys in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.